Questions edition of the Ulster Rugby Roundup in the Kingspan studio today are Jonathan Bradley. Hi, hi, Aries. And Adam McAndrew. Hey, guys. I just tried to spice that up a wee bit, but it's the hey. same lineup as every week, folks. Yeah. <laughs> enthusiasm caught me off guard. <laughs> I'm Gareth Anna, and you can blame me for only having three quarters of, of an episode to listen to last week. I really don't know how that happened. I painstakingly edited every last second of it, and then whenever it went up on SoundCloud, it wasn't all there. So, sorry, I think you missed the um, club part of last week's episode, so apologies for that. Some Today we'll try and... Stuff. Huh? Some of our best stuff. Yeah, well, the best stuff we've ever recorded, I think. But look, there we go. Such is life. Um, today we'll try and make up for it by discussing lots of your questions in the absence of any defeats to look back at or forward to. First up then, of course, what else to discuss first but John Gibbs. He's off, he's gone. Um, and our first question then that we'll deal with comes from Dave in the forums who asks, who should replace him as Ulster's new head coach? problem is there's not too many options um, because... <laughs> the person I would have personally liked to have seen come in is Jim Malander, but apparently he's already been snapped up. So um, the problem is Ulster are now completely in the lurch because the idea was that this new coaching setup would be the one to take them forward and now half of it is no longer here and they were the two main guys. So I'm, I'm sort of going around the question for a little bit first, but... Ulster now needs someone in who, one, will take a no-prisoners attitude. In this squad, there's no room for uh, guys who are just hanging on, guys who aren't willing to put in the work. They need someone to come in who's going to take a real hard-nosed approach and say, if you're not willing to put the effort in, you can leave. But they also need someone who brings back the values of Ulster rugby because that's been missing for the past season and a bit, maybe a couple seasons. Um, so striking that balance of trying to find someone who is going to be that tough as Neil's coach that Ulster absolutely need to whip this squad into shape. Um, but they also need someone who knows exactly what it's like uh, to be an Ulster man and to be on that pitch wearing the white jersey. And ideally you'd want someone homegrown, but right now you wouldn't say there's anyone from Northern Ireland who who really knows what it's like except maybe Mark McCall but I don't think he'll be leaving Saracens uh, to come back here so for, for a name I sat down and thought about this and I, I cannot think of one specific name and I've heard of a few names that have been linked to the job um, but in, in terms of a specific name I, I don't really I don't really know, but it, it just it needs to be someone who will come in and absolutely whip this squad into shape. Adam, Adam touched another question there from Tom Armstrong. Um, is there any hope that Mark McCall could come back, Jonathan, or if not him, who? Well, just to throw to throw Jim Mallinder's hat back in the ring, apparently <laughs> he's not taking the Cardiff job, oh. according to well, a report in The Times of... London rather than Dublin today. There we go, I'll put, I'll put a name down then, Jim Mallinder. <laughs> just, just so we avoid not answering the first question on the listener's question podcast. <laughs> so, but the, the problem is, I'm not, I don't have like a list of guys who are available. You know, you're, you're either talking about taking someone out of a job and bringing them here, or uh, there's a very, very small pool of names that are available. 
and I don't think any of them are quite well are good enough to come in and turn this squad around. I think with the exception of the playing for Ulster part and knowing what it means to play for Ulster, the issue is that the people that Adam described there are one, John O'Gibbs, which is why there's that degree of dismay that he is leaving. Uh, Richard Cockrell, who was available this time last year, um, but is now not being at Edinburgh and the things that he's done at Edinburgh are the type of things that you would think need to be done here in terms of just laying it out and what needs to be done no uncertain terms no um, accounting for egos so on and so forth Um, Cockrell's somebody that I think would have been great Um, the two people that I would ask how much it would take to get them here and then double it would be Mark McCall just to answer that question no I don't think it would happen um, as much as there's been change from the people here from when he left um, there's still a number of the same people here and I don't think uh, I don't think it would interest him professionally or personally beyond the fact that it would be coming back to his home province uh, the other he has less ties to the province but still uh still a small tie, would be Scott Robertson of Crusaders. Um, but again, you're talking about people who are in charge of two of the three club, best club sides in the world, so what would attract them here, really? You look at the salary that Vern Cotter's reported to be on in Montpellier, and Ulster can't compete with that. So if you can't compete financially, and you can't compete in terms of the project as it is now because it would be a step down for those guys then you're not going to get them I mean guys like Dave Rennie and Chris Boyd again are guys that have been available recently but are now in jobs and there's a fair amount of other teams looking for coaches as well and that's why personally I think it's a bad time to be going into the market for coaches and I don't think Ulster are at the head of the queue of attractive jobs either well, well, John Steen's and asked Adam, as you had touched on earlier. I mean, you you do think the coach should be homegrown or at least have some sort of a previous affiliation with Ulster? Is, is that a necessity, or could we have somebody coming totally from left field that has never never had any ties with Ulster before? <laughs> would that be a bad thing? It's it's not a necessity, and in some cases, it would be good having someone who doesn't have ties to the province simply, you know, clean slate, come in do what you want as opposed to um, what you think Ulster want but they need to at least have that understanding that of what it means to play for Ulster because there have been reports that players don't don't have that passion anymore and you can see it in some of the performances that they're just not putting in what you'd hope is required from an Ulster side so you're looking you're looking for someone who's going to completely buy in to what Ulster are doing <laughs> maybe not right now but what <laughs> Ul- what Ulster want to be doing you worry about that comment. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you so you're, you're looking at someone like uh, like Vern Cotter now I'm, I'm throwing out names again that I don't think are going to come to Ulster but 
people you know like Vern Cotter, like uh, Scott Robertson, you know, someone who's going to come in and say, "This is what we're playing for. This is how we're going to do it. If you guys buy in, it'll it'll hopefully work out for us." And as we sorry, as we've mentioned, the the big names aren't readily available right now. There are other clubs looking for uh, coaches. It, it could be that Ulster's uh, head coach next season is someone way out of left field simply because the, the pool of coaches available isn't that big. So, it's, as Johnny said, it's a really tough time to go searching for coaches. I think the thing about the indigenous coaches is, and I was talking about this with somebody else yesterday, you can say, oh, Ulster don't have the coaches, so they have to look to the Southern Hemisphere again. But, I mean, that's not strictly speaking the case. Ulster do have indigenous coaches. Neil Dokes going to Worcester. David Humphreys and Johnny Bell are at Gloucester. Jeremy Davidson's at Bordeaux. Mark McCall's at Saracens. Justin Fitzpatrick's out in America. There are plenty of coaches with ties to this province. It's just that none of them are here, and you can draw your own conclusions for, yeah. for why that is. When you say you were talking to somebody else about this, is this whenever, as John Stainson rightly highlighted, you betrayed us and went on to talk sport without us? Lads, we only meet for an hour a week. You know, I've got plenty. I've got plenty of time to talk to other people. There's an awful lot of me to go around. You know, <laughs> you're in thin ice. That's all we're saying. Thin, thin ice. Um, so, in conclusion, for personalities, want to see coming in. Are you agreed that of the noon? Well, the the realistic contenders that Jim is your your top choice. I I would like to see Jim come in because I think he would do something similar with Ulster as what Richard Cockrell has done with Leicester. I know, or sorry, with uh, Edinburgh. And I, I know that. Well, Leicester just, as well, to be fair. Well, yeah, of course. And I know I know that before he left Northampton, things were going very poorly, but. You look at his track record with them over the years, he turned them into European contenders at one point, um, and he's he's someone who's very passionate, he loves what uh, he loves what he does, and he could really bring that desired Ulster, I feel. Are you in agreement then? Unless somebody unexpected comes into the frame? I mean, I still think that the dream scenario is offered Scott Robertson a lot of money and seeing if he'd come back here having lived here as a 19 year old but if we're saying realistic and that's again with a nod to the fact that you're not going to get Mark McCall to come back <laughs> Jim Mullander I think is a good candidate Adam mentioned there how things ended with Northampton but Northampton did some incredible things under him and if not for a Johnny Sexton inspired comeback you would have had a Heineken Cup to throw into that mix as well. Um, obviously, he knows Roger Wilson well, so there is that sort of link. Uh, Neil, Neil Best as well would have played under him um, at Northampton. But I think it is going to be interesting. The timing of the announcement, or the story rather, from Owen Slot in the Times today is interesting, given that by all accounts... We were told that he was very much going to Cardiff, and the fact that he's now not is probably going to raise a few eyebrows. The thing as well, 
is what speciality he can bring. Because, you know, Les, his speciality was defence, and Jono's speciality was the forwards. And when Bryn spoke not that long ago, and especially recently, I suppose, given developments, speaking about Jono as the head of the coaching ticket, he said that we're going to look to bring in somebody with defensive expertise. So you now have to add forward expertise into that mix as well. So it might not just be the one coach that you're looking to bring in, and that's when you get into the conversations about structures as well. Yeah. Well, talking about time scale, then, um, Dave Bailey, I think, I have definitely written his name down wrong, but uh, we'll go with Bailey. Dave, if that's wrong, apologies. Um, he asks, how long should Ulster take in finding a new head coach, director of rugby, um, and says that it's crucial uh, that Ulster now make the right appointment with a long-term view. So, how long, realistically, can they afford to take over this? I think they've got to make sure that they get the right person. How long that takes is probably going to be dependent by the market because you you might talk to someone and he might say, "Okay, well, I've got this team here have made me an offer. I like what you're offering, so... I need you to make a decision quickly. So it's all about balancing it up. You'd love to say, right, let's take a month and sit down and work out, <laughs> you know, who would be best for us, whose vision suits our vision and whatnot. But unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. And of course, at this stage of the season, you want hopefully to have someone in who might then say, um, I can bring this player with me or something like that. Or um, I want a say on who we might sign for next season so it is a balancing act if Ulster go and they talk to someone and they like what they hear straight away uh, it could be a case of (laughs) they might have a new head coach in a couple weeks personally I would like them to take their time and make sure they make the right appointment but I think at this stage of the season they've really got to be getting a very quick move on well, speaking of quick, Bart S on the forums asked, should Gibbs leave now and let someone else take over? Johnny, would you like to see something happening that quickly? Or is this a more, well, let's just hang on, wait and see and take our time over this one? I think you have to you have to take your time to make sure you get the appointment right. Because if you're at rock bottom, or almost rock bottom, I believe, to quote accurately, as Brian said on Friday, then you're starting from the base level now there will be cynics who can say probably thought they were at rock bottom last year and we're rebuilding again afresh so rock bottom is a movable feast as it were um, if things can still get worse but you think back to 2014 so David Humphreys and Mark Anscombe left in the summer of 2014 sorry and then the worldwide search to identify the right man that landed on Les Kiss was constructed and set in a way that the message was Les Kiss is worth the wait, so we're taking our time over this. So you go to from the summer of 2014 until the end of the autumn in 2015 by the time Les Kiss arrived in a permanent capacity. 
and that's fine if we're sat here and Ulster are a success and things are moving forward under a five-year plan with Les Kiss, but that turned out to be the wrong appointment. So the danger of taking your time is if it goes wrong and then you just waste even more time. And, I mean, talking about John O leaving now to get somebody else in, you know, you look back to Mark Anscombe leaving, but you had Neil Doak and Johnny Bell at that stage. Neil Doak, who had constructed the team and the attacking shape, and Johnny Bell, who was a very highly thought of defence coach. So there isn't that level of experience here now below Jono either. So what do you do? Who, If you take your time and say we're going to wait a year until we get the right man, then who's taking it forward next season or who's heading things up next season? Because the guys that are here now don't have a tremendous amount of experience. To put it mildly. Okay, so Jim, and within the next year to answer all of those <laughs> all of those questions um, on the new the new coach. Well, this is coming back to what I was saying. I don't think Jim will be waiting for a year for a job. I think he's going to have uh, plenty of options ca- coming up for next year. So I think if Ulster want Jim, they'll have to move quickly. All right, then we're moving on from the the coaching side of things. Um, you mentioned a little earlier the structure at Ulster Rugby, and at the top of that structure, of course, is Shane Logan. Um, obviously, it was in the news last week, uh, but not for anything he said. Paul Walker actually asked, is there a reason for Shane Logan's silence? Well, there wasn't a silence around him because, of course, uh, a couple of former players had um, a few words to say on him, Paddy Wallace and Stephen Ferris, uh, just in case anybody sort of has been under a rock and hasn't heard. Um, what they said was Stephen Ferris said, um, well, he called for Logan to come out and say something a bit more publicly. Uh, and then he even said, it's time for change. We've seen changes with coaches. It hasn't worked out. Um, Paddy Wallace then went in and said that Ulster need a new skipper at the helm. Shane's had his time. He inherited a good team and good stadium and things were rosy. Shane wanted world domination and has to be accountable. He hasn't reached his targets. Ulster need to bring in a new CEO, one with more experience within rugby circles. So, with all of that as the background, is there a reason for Shane Logan's silence and what do we make of everything else surrounding him in the last week? I mean, we sort of dived into this in depth in one of the early podcasts that we did about Shane Logan's position and then we were sort of loath to go over the same ground again haven't talked so much about it in the first couple of weeks of the podcast but I mean I in fairness those, those episodes are now defunct because <laughs> of our problems with SoundCloud so nobody will know <laughs> yeah, well, we've, we've paid our SoundCloud fees now so you can go back over old episodes to your heart's content and at the time we said Ulster is a ship that's moving in the wrong direction and if this season doesn't provide evidence that it's moving in the right direction then there has to be a clear out of the structure from the top down and that obviously starts with the CEO who is the public face of the organisation, I don't know whether you could call him the public face of the organisation at the minute but to add to what we said previously the silence is something that I find very strange, like you have Bryn Cunningham who it seems is being put in a position where he has to go and put out fires left, right and centre when you know the BBC want to talk to somebody on Friday after this news breaks. It's Bryn Cunningham. Whenever we finally get to speak to somebody after Les Kiss leaves, it's Bryn Cunningham. Um, the man who's going to have to sit in front of 250 angry season ticket holders 
on Thursday night <laughs> is Bryn Cunningham. So I think in order to show that you're providing direction, if you're at the head of the organisation, then there should be you should be saying something. And that's what I would add to what we previously said about Shane Logan, that this last month has needed somebody to clarify the direction of the organisation, and I don't think that should always fall to Bryn, as much as you can see why it's easy to put Bryn out, because he's a very good talker. He's very well thought of around here, and he has the pedigree for 150 Ulster Cups. But it's just... It's that silence that rankles, and I can understand the frustration from everybody because there's been times when the CEO here has been very visible, and that's not been the case over the last month, and that strikes people as bizarre when it's been such a tumultuous month for the province. But when we're talking about structures, and we talked about the review and stuff last week that's been, uh, or two or three weeks ago, we sp- spoke about this much, much hyped review. And that will obviously include Shane Logan. Shane Logan sits on the committees that are part of the review. And if that's not done independently, and I might be going off topic on another, probably stepping on the toes of another question here, but if that review is not done independently, outside of the committees and outside of Shane Logan, then what position is it in to say that there should be change? Because you're in a position then when you're asking turkeys to vote for Christmas, it's not going to happen. And since the talk of the review initially came out the word sacrosanct has been used to describe the committees in an interview that Bryn gave to the stand-up newsletter from the supporters club so if you have areas of the structure that are sacrosanct then what's the point in a review what if an independent review finds out that this isn't working that's inefficient and then you turn around and say oh well actually the review's not about that that's we're not touching that that's another thing when you talk about the structures that I don't particularly understand. Yeah, so um, change then as the the ex players we're calling for looks uh, somewhat un- unlikely from anything we've heard so far. Then does it? Well, given the public position or the lack thereof over the last month, I'd be very surprised if there isn't change. Well, there has to be after after everything that's been said. There has to be change, and if if there's not, we're going to be in exactly the same position as we are now. Um, <laughs> nobody, nobody wants that. But go, going back to the original question, I think I think it's just fear. I think if if Shane Logan was to go out and say something, he's just afraid that he would say the wrong thing, and the fans would get even more on his back. Because at at the moment, there's very little he could say that would suggest yeah. things are on an upward curve. You know, what 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 could he, what could he come out and say to make fans think? Well, everything's going to change, change and turn around for us. But the thing for me is this this idea of the silence is what gets me because it's not like any of us are going to be sat in front of him and allowed to ask him questions because we all know that's outside what's going to be allowed. So you know, you talk about controlling the message which is something that we hear for reasons why we're not allowed to talk to certain people or reasons why things within Ulster are done in the way they are to control the message I understand those air quotes don't really work (laughs) on a podcast but you'll pick up from the tone so anything that Shane Logan was going to say 
would be media managed to within an inch of its life anyway. But as Adam asked, what, what could he say that would in any way appease supporters? What benefit would it be to him to come out and, and say it? What, what could he say? No, but he, but say he, has, he has to come out and say something right now because, as Johnny said, as the head of the organisation, he's nowhere to be seen. Like, he, if, if you were to look at Ulster, if it's someone who had no idea about what Ulster did and you look back at the last few months, you wouldn't know Shane Logan even existed. Because he's not, he's not said anything. He's not making it clear that he's in charge. That he needs to at least make it known that he's working in the right direction. Okay, so moving on um, to discussing the academy and player recruitment side of things. We discussed last week um, how we felt the money from Tommy Bow and Charles Pietau departing this summer should be spent. And we sort of said that we felt it would be good to spend that on the academy. Now, old man off the forums asks, what exactly did we mean by that? Uh, are we talking about expanding the academy or bringing in better coaches? Or what exactly? Adam, I think it was you made that point originally last week. So It was. Um, and at the time, I'll admit, I wasn't thinking about specifics. I was just thinking about, you know, at least send some more funding that way to help out. The thing is, I don't think coaching is necessarily the problem you could, you could maybe bring in one more person to help out but then there's the case of too many cooks spoil the broth um, so if, if you're putting in more money maybe even to help the, the players in the academy just I know Ulster do a lot of stuff with their uh, schooling outside the academy so even putting it towards that or expanding it to allow more players in or just Making sure that the academy is operating to its optimal capacity. Funding is not my strong point, so I I don't know exactly what they would spend it on. But I I certainly don't think the coaching is necessarily necessarily the problem, um, because by all accounts, the coaches in the academy are well-liked and uh, they've started to see things go better under uh, Kieran Campbell and uh, uh, the like. So... It's uh, it's all about just making sure that the academy is well funded and is able to produce players to the best of its ability. Johnny, do you know any any specifics in the academy that we could be looking at improving? The academy is the obvious failing. Like you can talk about the senior team and the coaching setup and the structures all you like, but the academy is the issue. You look at a batch of players who in 2012 were supplemented by very good NIQ signings but the batch of indigenous talent in that um, 2012 team Chris Henry Trimble Cave Ferris and Rory Best who's that little bit older and so wouldn't have come through an academy per se and then you throw Tommy Bow into that mix who came back the year after it's the inability to replace those players from the academy that's the issue and every so often you can turf out an Ian Henderson or Jacob Stockdale, but you need to be regularly seeing players go from the academy and the underage systems into the senior team, and that hasn't happened. So you need to go back to the drawing board, and by all accounts that's a process that was already started when uh, Willie Anderson and Kieran Campbell came into the academy. But that's where you need to be devoting the most of your attention because that's how you have a successful professional team when you're only able to sign 
three or four foreigners a year and everyone else has to be Irish qualified. So to me, that's the obvious starting point. Okay, well, talking about the NIQ players, then John Steenson in the second half of his uh, homegrown question asks um, Should we focus more then on homegrown players now rather than going down the, the NIQ route next season? I mean, the NIQ route, as it were, isn't a problem if you're getting in players like Ryan Pienaar, John Afoa, Pedro Wannenberg, and Johan Muller. You can still have that quality of players funding an IRFU agreement pending but it's not like those players come in and for all the talk of succession planning or whatever are blocking anybody you just have to be, start producing players that are good enough to stand alongside those players which is the, the issue we've been talking about with the, with the academy I suppose well yeah it is but uh, as Johnny said you know Ulster had what was it eight years with Ruin Pienaar to produce another scrum half and they didn't they had however many years it was with John Afoa to produce another tight head prop and they didn't you know it's it's not a case of the NIQs have been standing in the way of Ulster producing talent it's a case of Ulster have brought in these NIQs and uh, haven't brought in someone to succeed them and that's what's supposed to happen once you once an NIQ leaves you're supposed to have someone from within your own system to step up and replace them strictly speaking you're not supposed to then go and get someone else uh, from abroad but that's actually happened in a few places with Ulster I mean like nobody complains about Leinster signing Scott Fardy and Aysen Osewa and James Lowe as long as the academy's producing the other 20 odd players which it is and like Ulster aren't going to have the player numbers where the academy's going to be producing 20 of your 23 match day score that's where you have to get players from Leinster and like Leinster can afford to miss on players like John Cooney and Byrne because they're producing so many other players and Ulster are always going to have to go down the route of the likes of John Cooney the likes of Sean Reedy and Rob Herring who are Irish qualified but not from um, Ulster but you still have to have that core and that wealth of talent coming through that as we said that generation that are all now in their mid-30s who haven't been replaced, that's the issue Well then perhaps um, the pool of players that Ulster have to, to choose from an underage level is an issue which brings us on to Gareth Kinnear's question um, he asked what can be done to sell the sport beyond uh, its traditional heartlands in Ulster that's not his exact wording but I think that's what he meant um, we can see that from the Schools Cup semi-finals this week. I mean, the te- the four teams that were in that, no great shock. Same names coming through again. So what what can we do then to to give rugby sort of a, a wider appeal or to see uh, guys and girls from different backgrounds taking up the sport? Well, I think Ulster did do a good thing by taking uh, one of their training sessions out to Virginia Rugby Club in Cavan. And I know they've got a couple decent prospects coming through there actually um, so it's just bringing the sport around the province would be a good start you know how, how many times do you see Ulster going beyond Belfast for something you know they, they train in Belfast um, they play in Belfast you know when, when else do you see them going outside it? so it's a it's a way of saying you know look at this team that represents the province not just Belfast, um, so that that would be a good start 
just making sure that uh, you know you're you're going to the likes of the north uh, up around there and saying uh, here are guys here are guys look at what you could do just make it just making sure they know that there is a pathway through for them if they want to try and make it I think like you know there's guys in Ulster like Johnny Gillespie and stuff who have been tasked with spreading the game and finding your tag furlongs and your Sean O'Brien's here outside of the rugby heartlands and that's something with the A team you're maybe starting to see the benefit of with the likes of Adam McBurney and stuff but obviously you have to do it more like Adam talks about pathways like rugby is always going to be behind football and in terms of participation numbers it's going to be behind GAA that's just a reality but as the main professional sport in Northern Ireland it's a lot easier to make a career in rugby than it is to make out of football and it's a lot easier to make a career out of rugby than it is to make out of GAA where you have to have another job so like just go in and tell all these kids that this is the way they can make money out of playing sport <laughs> you motivated by money then just just tell them you learn a fistful doing this and it will work exactly <laughs> well I couldn't do any harm <laughs> if somebody had told me a career that could make a fistful I wouldn't be doing this <laughs> <laughs> it's also uh, I presume easier to make a career out of uh, rugby than it is to make a career out of golf I've tried it uh, doesn't work <laughs> <laughs> So uh, okay, so even if Ulster do start then to bring through some uh, some of their own players, um, I think we can all agree that uh, some fresh blood as well is perhaps needed for next year. So, uh, old man again from the forums asks, how can Ulster go about attracting new players without European rugby, without a director of rugby, without a head coach for next season? It'll be tough, but um, at this point of the season most of your dealings are done or you're coming to the end of your dealings, so um, Anything that you've been using to attract players, you'll have already been discussing with them. But if Ulster are going out to find any more players, it will be a tough sell because players like to at least know that they're going to be uh, coming to somewhere with stability and they're going to be coming to somewhere that have ambitions. And right now, Ulster are severely lacking in both of those. But the thing is, Ulster aren't exactly a uh, financially uh, struggling side, so I'm sure uh, if you put a big enough wad of cash in front of them, they uh, <laughs> won't say no. Well, that's exactly it. Like You talk about, oh, you don't know what European competition you're going to be playing, and you don't know who the coach is. Bristol are able to attract players without... Uh, top-tier European rugby and at the time without even knowing what league they were going to be playing in. So these things are far more financially motivated than thing than I think people would like to believe. Ulster have Ulster's budget for the professional game is five million quid, as Adam says, it's not paltry. It's not top fourteen or Aviva Premiership budgets, but in comparison to the Pro fourteen teams that you're competing with, your checkbook's gonna talk, so I would say that's the way they'll attract players, which has always been the way they attract players. Let's not lie to ourselves. But. You've also got to bear in mind, for most of the players that Ulster are going out to sign, you're guaranteeing them first-team rugby. The Ulster squad isn't good enough that you're saying to these guys, uh, you'll be fighting out for a position in our back row. The majority of these guys are walking straight into the first team as soon as they get here. Right, well, the problem is that the two guys that they should have signed have already signed for Wasps, but apart from that... <laughs> 
Well, possibly following on then from our uh, discussion about the season ticket review, Muscles in the forums asked, are Ulster getting complacent about their, their fan base? I don't think it's complacency because I think there's a big fear over it and you can see with things like a price freeze and the like um, for me I f- it left a bad taste in the mouth that season ticket sales went on went up on Thursday when an announcement that John O'Gibbs was going to leave was scheduled for Friday <laughs> I don't think that's uh, I don't think it's complacency about your fan base but I don't think it's treating your fan base in the way that you should all right, well, thank you very much for all your questions. Hopefully we've dealt with the vast majority of them there this week. Um, do keep them coming in, and we'll have a look at a few more next week. For now, though, to conclude this week's episode, we'll have a little look at um, all the club rugby action that's coming up this weekend. Yeah, um, so, of course, last week, all the games across the All-Ireland League were cancelled because of the bad weather, but quite a few of them have been rescheduled for this week. It's coming up on Saturday in the All-Ireland League in Division 1B. Banbridge hosts Ballymena in an Ulster Derby. That's at half two, as is Ballina Hinch's visit to UL Bohemian. Uh, in Division 2A, Malona on the road to Galwegians. That's at half twelve. And in Division 2C, Oma hosts Sligo at twelve o'clock. And Bangor are away to Tomond at half twelve. And in the Sony Ulster Premiership Division 2, on Thursday night, Rainy Old Boys are hosting Dungannon. That that is at 7.45. As we always seem to be, we're uh, getting a little bit pushed for time. Um, we're recording this just before kickoff uh, in the first Schools Cup semi-final. You can probably hear the, the crowd starting to build outside here. Um, so it, Johnny has actually left us, but we've just had to ply on without him. I'm sure he uh, cheated on us yesterday anyway, so he yeah, doesn't deserve it. This is our um, so between the two of us, have we got a game of the week for our, our club rugby? Um, I think it's hard to look past Banbridge Ballymena, you know, an Ulster Derby, Banbridge obviously going for uh, going for the title still and Ballymena looking to get away from the relegation spots, so um, well, you not, know that We're not tipping Ballymena, are we? We are not. Well, <laughs> so, certainly I'm not, and you know, Banbridge Bambridge uh, have been going well, or very well recently. I mean, that win at Hinch has put them firmly in the mix for the title. So, yeah, I can only see a home win on this one. Well, thank goodness we're agreed, because we'd have had to call Johnny back for the deciding bit <laughs> before. Um, so that's all for this week. So uh, we, hope, we, we hope you enjoyed all our look into all of your questions. Next week, we'll be back, and we'll look back over uh, the Schools Cup semi-finals and the rest of all the rugby action in Ulster. From Jonathan Bradley, who's not here, Adam McEnry. Cheers, guys. And Gareth Hanna, thanks for listening.